Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. This morning, like I said, we are in the middle of our series, Life in the Tension. It's a series on apologetics. And what we've really been hoping to do this summer is be able to encourage our church to continue to fulfill the calling that we've all been given as followers of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples, to proclaim the good news of the gospel. But we know that is challenging in the culture we live in and and the things that we face as believers. And so we wanted to bring in some guest speakers to participate in this series for us who could help us, could teach us, could train us on how to do this. But we looked specifically for people who can not only preach, but when you look at their lives, they, they model and epitomize a beautiful balance between grace and truth because tone is important. Scriptures en- encourage us in First Peter to be ready to give a defense to all who ask for the hope that resides in us, but to do so with gentleness and respect. And that's getting so hard to do. But this morning's speaker does a great job of that. We are so excited to be able to welcome Dr. Sean McDowell this morning. He is a teacher, an author, professor of apologetics at Talbot uh, Theolo- School of Theology at Biola University. And uh, we are excited. And I'm going to give you guys a little bit of insider information here. <laughs> this is actually a second message. This is different than first service. So you guys are going to get to hear something that first service didn't get to hear. That's how special you are. Wow. But both <laughs> messages are available online. They're being recorded in live stream. So you can go back and watch what Sean talked about at the 9 o'clock hour. It was phenomenal on truth. Uh, but this one is one that I think is going to be really applicable to us here in the Northwest, or really just the whole West Coast and we're so thankful to have Sean. Would you welcome Sean McDowell up to the stage? <laughs> Thanks, brother. <laughs> you were saying that down in your area, they do this too, right? Oh, heck yeah. At the, at the Pregnancy Resource Center, where my wife and I support, they make every year $30,000 from people turning these in. So it makes a difference, that change you put in there. So you could get two things. Number one, you could support them. And number two, you could win as a church. So do it. (laughs) Thank you for that encouragement. We're going to pray for Sean and then let him preach. And at the end of the service, actually, Sean has agreed to take some questions from our audience. And Hmm. some of you have been already populating those questions this week. And so we'll have a slide up on the screen where uh, you can uh, submit questions. But we're going to have a little bit of time at the end. And he's going to answer those to the best of his ability. But let me uh, pray for you, Sean. Father God, we're so thankful for this opportunity to hear from Sean again this morning, and we just ask that you would give him clarity now as he uh, delivers an important word on a very eye-catching topic. But yet, God, your word speaks to how we should respond and live, and we know that you are with us wherever we go. We are not in this alone, and you've given us the truth we need to cling to. So I pray that you let Sean preach with clarity and prepare our hearts to hear your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Well, good morning. Two stories as we, shar- as we start, you might be familiar with if you track what's going on in the news. One was a professor by the name of Brett Weinstein at Evergreen University, not too far from here in Olympia, Washington. At his university where he taught in biology, he, they had a day of absence where minority faculty would choose and other students would choose not to show up to remind the rest of the university the role that they played. They did that for years. Well, a few years ago, people had the idea to flip the script 
And on the day of absence, white people were instructed not to show up on campus for that day. Well, Brett, interestingly enough, chose not to follow this mandate, largely because he didn't think a day like this would advance race relations on his campus. Agree with him or not, that was his motivation. Well, let's say people showed up outside his door protesting, threatening, calling him names. He and his wife resigned and sued the university and won for a half a million dollars, interestingly enough. Another story, you might recognize the name Jack Phillips. Jack Phillips started Masterpiece Cake Shop in Denver, Colorado. And he actually started this as he called it Masterpiece because each cake was going to be uh, commissioned, he thought, by his master and be a masterpiece. He built it with his family, partly as an expression of his ministry. Now, keep a few things in mind. He would serve anybody who came in, no matter what community they were from, but he wouldn't make cakes that were pornographic. He wouldn't make Halloween cakes. And one day he was asked to bake a cake specifically celebrating a same-sex wedding. Now again, he would gladly and did serve LGBTQ people, but he viewed his cake as an artwork, an expression of speech, so to speak, said no, and was charged by the Colorado Civil Rights Commission uh, and was compared to being a perpetrator of the Holocaust, interestingly enough. The news blew up and he actually had somebody call up and say, I'm 10 minutes away, I'm coming to harm you and your family. Now, Interestingly enough, he was threatened, bullied, and harassed, even though there's another cake shop that would gladly make such a cake just a few minutes' walk down the street. Now, what do these two stories have in common? They have in common something we've begun to call cancel culture. Someone believes the wrong thing, holds the wrong view, we're going to cancel and shame them publicly. Now, by the way, don't get the impression that this is just a secular culture canceling Christians. I've been asked recently, should we cancel going to Target? Should we cancel Disney Plus? Should we no longer support the chosen? That's the drama of this past week. So this is something that is in the air we breathe, so to speak. Now, it seems to me there's two inadequate responses for Christians. One is to live in fear. It's easy to think if somebody, if, if I say the wrong thing or don't answer the right way, I'm gonna lose my reputation or my job. The Bible has a lot to say about not living in fear. In fact, one of the most common phrases in the Old Testament is fear not. But a second inaccurate response for a Christian is to say, you know what? We're pretty powerful. We're gonna jump on the cancel culture bandwagon and just knee jerk cancel others. Now, I'm not saying there's not a time to boycott. I'm not saying there's not a time to stand up and speak truth boldly. I'm saying these are two responses that might not be thoughtful enough, either live in fear or just knee-jerk cancel others. Maybe there's a better way. In fact, literally one of the most common questions I've been asked recently is should Christians cancel their Disney subscription? These are like real personal questions, aren't they? This isn't the kind of thing you can just ignore and go on with your life. 
It's our money. It's our relationship. It's our job. It's the culture we live in. How do we best live in this moment is the question I think we should ask. Now, before we get to some specifics, to me, I wonder how we should even think about cancel culture. How do we just approach this? What matters when it's all said and done? So a book I've been studying recently is 1 Peter. And 1 Peter's written to a bunch of churches in kind of modern Turkey area in the middle to the end of the first century who were undergoing some persecution for their faith. And Peter writes to them how to navigate their relationships when you might say the wider culture is canceling them. One of the things that Peter writes stands out to me. He says, but as the one who called you is holy, you are to be holy in all your conduct for it is written, be holy as I am holy. When it's all said and done, however we respond, shouldn't we ask the question, what does it look like and mean to be holy in this moment we find ourselves in? But then Peter also writes this. He writes in another passage in uh, 1 Peter 2.12, says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God. In other words, live in a way that draws non-believers to the faith. Isn't that what matters most? I love America and I think America is exceptional. But if we win the war on a political level, but don't do it in a way that honors and loves Christ, we've lost the larger battle, friends. Let's be holy as God is holy. Now, before we jump in and kind of look at some particular ways we might respond, because I'm a professor, whenever I see hear terms like cancel culture crop up, I go, okay, what is cancel culture and why do we have it right now? So I think it's worth asking a question. Why do we have this thing we call cancel culture? What's taking place in the world at this moment in which we have this phenomenon? Now, I think of this 1991 storm that was made in an early 2000s movie with Mark Wahlberg called The Perfect Storm. And it was a storm off of Massachusetts and three big storms coalesced and made a mega storm with like 100 foot waves. In a sense, I think we find ourselves in the perfect storm. There's a few factors, culturally speaking, that are coming together at the same time. And when we see them, it almost makes perfect sense that we would have a cancel culture. So what are they? I think the first factor is that we have an epidemic of hurting people, emotionally and mentally broken society. And we know this, don't we? There's an epidemic of fatherlessness, an epidemic of loneliness, an epidemic of anxiety, an epidemic of suicidality. And as you've heard it said, hurting people hurt people. We have a mentally and emotionally broken society. Now, fortunately, it's out there and not in the church, right? At least, In fact, ironically, you might say the church is more broken because to realize you need Jesus, you have to recognize your brokenness and bring all your baggage with you. Oh, I didn't get an amen on that one. Okay, good. I knew there were some Baptists here. I... Uh, I I, I don't know if this is a guy-girl thing. I suspect it is one difference largely between guys and girls is I can kind of only do one thing at a time. 
How many guys cannot multitask? You can just do one thing at a time. I'm curious. Be honest, own it. You should point out your husband. He didn't raise his hand. So I literally was driving through McDonald's the other day. I was like, wait a minute. She's taking someone else's order and giving me mine. I don't think I could do that job. I can only do one thing at a time. So I often do like live streams and conversations on on venues like YouTube. And I will have somebody monitoring the comments in case they get out of control. People can comment what they want, but when it distracts, then it needs to get shut down. And uh, this time I forgot to have somebody monitoring and I forget what the conversation was, but I'm seeing the temperature just heat up. Like it's getting personal and people are attacking. And I noticed a couple of Christians in there. I'm like, good, they'll, they'll calm it down. Nope. It was like gas on the fire. I'm like, what is happening? But I'm trying to ask a good question, navigate this conversation. And I'm seeing this heat up. And finally, somebody says to this guy, they go, why are you even here? What right do you have to be here to speak this nonsense? And I'll never forget what this guy says. He says, what right do I have to be here? He says, I'm a military veteran and I served in our country and was wounded profoundly. Your rights come from my sacrifice and other people like me. Uh, Exactly. And I saw it was like, oh boy. So I jumped in and, oh, and he said something. I don't remember the exact details. He said something like, I was wounded profoundly and I don't know why God would allow this to happen. Now you can't ignore that going on in a chat room. So I stopped and I said, I said, hey, sir, thank you for being here. Thank you first for your service. Thank you for your sacrifice. I, I can't thank you enough and don't want to take that for granted. You are welcome anytime on my channel to be here. I'm not gonna pretend I know why God allowed this to happen to you. But I know that you're made in God's image and God loves you and has a plan, something to that effect. And I said, please stay and be a part of the conversation. Guess what happened? It got completely silent. Why? Because a gentle word turns away wrath. Romans 2.4 says, your judgment leads to, I'm sorry, your kindness leads to repentance. And Proverbs 15.4 says, a soft word breaks a bone. Friends, we have a hurting, broken culture. Almost every time I see somebody respond and they cancel others, my thought is, where did you learn in your life that that's how we treat human beings? And you trace it back, there is hurt and brokenness in that person's relationship and in their life. I think one reason we have a cancel culture is because we have an epidemic of broken, hurting people. But second, we're in an age of clashing worldviews. There has never been more issues that we are all supposed to take a side on in the church and outside of the church. So in 2015, when the uh, Bergefell versus Hodges Supreme Court ruling came down, about same-sex marriage. I was invited to actually host an event at Biola University where I teach. And I brought in a radio host, some pastors, a young man who considers himself affirming that says God supports same-sex relationships. And the New York Times covered this to simply talk about how evangelicals might respond to the changing culture and changing Supreme Court ruling. And we had a wonderful civil conversation. I asked this young man who believes God is in favor of same-sex relationships. I said, hey, here's my question. 
Are you saying for me to be loving towards the LGBTQ community, I have to be kind and gracious or do I have to change my theology itself? And the answer, take a wild guess, it's your theology and your views that cause harm. I mean, just stop and think about this. I'm not even taking sides. Think about the trans debate right now. One side says, if we don't affirm gender care, our kids are gonna commit suicide. The other side says, yeah, what you call gender affirming care, that's child abuse. (laughs) I'm not even talking about my opinion on that. Can you understand why we have a cancel culture? Look how diametrically opposed worldviews we have about human identity, about health, about things like marriage. Of course, we're gonna have a cancel culture because of how much is at stake. But this isn't just within the church and outside the church. We increasingly see this kind of division within the church, don't we? So I was thinking about sharing this example. I ran it by my wife. I was like, I just don't know. People get so upset about this. And she's like, okay, so you're giving a talk on cancel culture and you maybe won't share an example you think is controversial. I said, good point. (laughs) She's right 99% of the time. I only say 99 because occasionally I get it right. Need to hold on to that. She was totally right in this case. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor like I am Bible-believing, evangelical Christian. He's an apologist. But one difference is he's black and I'm white. He played in the NFL, big surprise, I didn't. (laughs) I don't know why you're laughing. I played college basketball. You're still laughing at me. I did play, which proves only one thing. There must be a God. So I'm interviewing my friend, and he's a pastor in, in South Carolina. And uh, he has one of the most intentionally racially diverse churches I've ever been to. It's beautiful and it's amazing. And I love it when he asked me to speak. And so I'm interviewing him on YouTube about race. And I said, hey man, I just got to ask you, you play in the NFL, you're, you're black. How do you navigate things like kneeling at the flag when that controversy comes up, because there's such heated division, even within the church. I said, do you mind if I share my take first? He goes, sure. I said, my take comes from my grandpa who served in World War II. And I remember I was maybe in junior high and high school, and I don't know why we had some discussion about burning the flag. And I was like, it's just a flag, burn it. Let's just say my grandpa who served in World War II had a very different perspective on it. That is not just a flag. I fought for that flag. Your free speech ends when it comes to burning that flag. That was his opinion. So that has shaped the way when I see people kneeling at the flag, my grandpa's voice is informing how I look at this. I said, how do you navigate that in the church? And he goes, well, he goes, first off, thank you to your grandpa for his service. That's commendable. And I'm grateful for that. He said, can I share you about my experience? He says, I have a lot of family members and others who are black who also served in World War II. But they came home because their skin color to a very different reception. Can you at least understand why many people maybe view kneeling differently? Friends, that was a brilliant response. I'm not telling you not to have convictions. I'm not saying this doesn't matter. But we often lead with canceling others and finding where we differ 
And because they're such different experiences, what happens? We lead with canceling if we don't at least try to find common ground. So no wonder we have a cancel culture when there's such powerful narratives within the church, outside the church. But third, I think it's this thing in our pocket that's rectangle called a smartphone. I thank God for my smartphone. I love it. My wife is texting me updates about my son's football game this morning. Like, that's awesome. It's great. Yeah, they lost in case you wanted to know, but they played. But what do smartphones do? Now everybody has a voice to the world and there's no gatekeepers. In fact, on some issues, if you don't speak up in a certain way, you will still be criticized and still be attacked. So just think about it. If we have a generation of broken, hurting people and a mental health epidemic, we have such clashing worldviews and everybody has a platform to the world, of course, we're gonna have cancel culture. Now, my question is how we respond. Now, the way we respond in say the educational system here, that's a different question. How we respond legally is a different question. We need lawyers to defend uh, religious liberty. How we react in different venues. I'm talking more about how you and I navigate our relationships and our job on a person-to-person level. What does this look like for you and I? And let me suggest just a few things. Number one, perhaps most important, is to be obedient. To fear God rather than fear men. Our job is to be faithful and not compromise what is true. I did my dissertation on the apostles. What happened to Peter and Paul and Thomas, etc. One thing I know is when you read the beginning of Acts, the apostles preached the name of Jesus. They were threatened, beaten, thrown in prison and told, just stop talking about Jesus. In Acts 5.29, Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. I want to give you an example of somebody who did this. Some of you, if you follow women's soccer, might recognize the name Jaylene Hinkle. She, a few years ago, was one of the best left backs in U.S. women's soccer. She's an outspoken Christian. Well, leading up to the Obergefell decision with same-sex marriage, she felt compelled to write something on social media. I want to show you what she wrote. Now, what happened was, I'll give a little backdrop before I, I say this is when she was playing U.S. women's soccer, she made it to the U.S. women's national team. And one of the things that was going to be required was to wear a jersey with the LGBTQ flag. Do you do it or not? Now, some of you might argue, hey, it's better to have somebody on the team, just wear the flag, it's just a jersey. You are welcome to make that argument. Maybe Christians can disagree on this. But she thought deeply and prayed about this. And it was all said and done, felt like the most important thing for her was to be obedient to what she thought God was calling her to. So after Obergefell dropped, she wrote this. She said, I believe with, with every fiber in my body that what was written 2,000 years ago in the Bible is undoubtedly true. This world may change, but Christ and his word never will. She didn't say anything about marriage. Didn't say anything about sexuality. Just notice the culture was changing around her and said, I'm going to plant my flag with Christ and his word. And she became a marked woman. Booed, jeered, insulted, attacked online everywhere she went. Fast forward a couple years and now they're being asked or required 
to wear an LGBTQ flag. Here's how she responded. She said, and this is for the national team. Can you imagine what it'd be like to be invited to play in a national team? That would be a dream come true if this is your love. She said, I just felt so convicted in my spirit that it wasn't my job to wear this jersey. I gave myself three days to just seek and pray and determine what God was asking me to do in this situation. If I never get another national team call up again, then that's just a part of his plan. And that's okay. Maybe this is why I was meant to play soccer, to show other believers to be obedient. Sometimes people are like, Sean, you're so bold. I'm like, I'm not. I just speak and debate and write stuff and have conversations. Like she is willing to give up her dream because she has a higher calling. Life's not about soccer. It's not about success. It's not about making money. It's about being obedient and faithful to God's call in our life. That's why my friend John Stone Street said we need to develop a theology of getting fired. I had a chance to interview one of my favorite thinkers, Os Guinness, brilliant Christian thinker. And I asked him this question. He's probably in his 70s. I said, hey, Os, what do you think your legacy is going to be? He goes, Sean, the idea of legacy is a secular idea. All that matters is God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Number one response, we must be obedient. But let's make sure we die on the right issues with that said. Second, extend grace, love, and forgiveness. Now, what do I mean by this? You know what's ironic? Is the very thing cancel culture lacks is the very thing at the heart of Christianity. Cancel culture says, if you mess up, we will cancel you. No forgiveness. You said this is the past. You're finished. Christianity says it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you've been through. God has grace for you. At the heart of Christianity is grace. It's grace. Now, sometimes I study evangelical culture and I watch the way we communicate and the way we act. And sometimes it feels like we're very defensive and we act out of fear. We're afraid of the Muslim community, afraid of the postmodernists, afraid of Hollywood, afraid of the Republicans, afraid of the Democrats, whatever it is. We operate on fear. They're stealing our rights is how so many Christians view it. Friends, you know what the Bible says? Perfect love casts out all fear. Rather than a posture of fear, I think things shift when we say, how do I love someone? How do I love someone? I want to show you a quick example. And I realize I can't even do justice to the background. But one example from this week People were talking about was the Chosen TV show series. How many of you saw the drama about what happened on set at the Chosen TV show series? That's amazing how something feels like the world is ending and 10% of people even follow it, which is fine. So the Chosen TV series, which is a creative telling of the life of Jesus, it's meant to be rooted in what is historical, but they take creative license. It's not a ministry. It's a television show. And it's become one of the most popular television shows in the world. I thoroughly enjoy watching it with my family because we watch it and then we go back to scriptures and say, okay, is this accurate? Do you think this happened? It's a great teaching tool. Well, this week on set, there was a pride flag that was spotted on the set. And some Christians sent out some tweets saying, 
cancel the chosen. Just like you cancel Target, just like you don't drink Bud Light. Actually, I don't think they mentioned that. Come to think of it, probably most of our audience doesn't drink Bud Light anyways. For a lot of different reasons. They're like, cancel Disney Plus, cancel Target, and cancel the chosen. So when I saw that, I had people sending me this saying, cancel, cancel, cancel. And my first thought is, there might be a time to do so. But first, get the facts. Second, am I acting out of anger? I'm acting out of rage. Am I just being provoked? So I did a little more research and thought, you know what? I wonder if there's a way to lead with kindness rather than lead with canceling. And I'm not talking about political. I'm just saying, how could we engage thoughtfully with people? So there was a tweet that was sent out on Twitter by one of the cast members who are not Christians, by the way. It's a Hollywood production. And one of them said, you know, he's defending his friend who put the pride flag up and basically said something like, I forget the exact words, but if you don't love all people, then you're kind of hateful and you're ignorant and you're bigoted. And I saw that as a Christian. I'm like, wow. He just called a lot of people that watch his show hateful and bigoted. How am I going to respond? I'm not saying this is the perfect response. I wrestle with this stuff like you do. But I sent this video out yesterday and think you might find it interesting. To me, it's like, here's an opportunity. It's one minute. How do we use this opportunity to show grace and kindness and build common ground and maybe love some people in a way we don't? So here's my quick take. To the crew of the chosen who have chosen to defend the pride flag on set, thank you for playing the very characters that we love. As a Christian, I try to pattern my life after the person of Jesus and his teachings for the disciples. Thank you for your sacrifice to creatively bring the story of Jesus to life. If you think our concern is motivated by hate, homophobia, and ignorance, might I encourage you to consider sitting down with the very people who both watch and fund your show and hear their perspectives on the teachings of Jesus about sex, identity, and relationships. I'm a Christian professor, and I would love to sit down with you and hear both your story and your perspective if you'd simply be willing to hear my story and my perspective, and if the focus can be on Jesus and his teachings. Let's have a conversation. That was it. (laughs) Friends, again, I'm not saying there's not a time to cancel. I'm saying let's be as gracious as we can be without compromising truth. One of the things I enjoy, enjoy doing on my YouTube channel is inviting people on who see the world differently. So I've had progressive Christians on. I've had someone who defined himself. He works for New York Magazine, The Atlantic, as an atheist New York media elite. That was his term, not mine. Four times we've had conversations. Well, some time ago, I saw this, uh, one of my followers sent me and they said, hey, there's this lady, Ariel Scarcella, who is an outspoken lesbian on YouTube. And I started looking at her stuff and I thought, I wonder if she'd just be willing to have a conversation with me. Not a lecture, not a debate. I couldn't get a hold of her. I don't know why. I asked my son who's 19 now. I was like, I can't get a hold of this YouTuber. He's like, dad, just message her on Instagram. I'm like, really? She responded within an hour. (laughs) Should have listened to the youngster. And I said, hey, full disclosure, I'm a Christian professor I've spoken out on biblical views of sexuality. We're probably really going to differ on this. But all I want to do is hear your story 
and see if we can maybe find some common ground and have a thoughtful civil conversation. She goes, sure, comes on my show. Interviewed her about her life and her experience. And just a couple things stand out. One is uh, she said to me, I said, so you're not religious, but you're spiritual. She goes, yeah, I think really Jesus is one way, but all religions are true. She said, what do you think? I said, do you really want to know what I think? She said, yes. I said, I think there are some common truths you'll find across religions. Like the golden rule transcends different religions. But when you get to the core, what it means to be human, what's wrong with the world, the nature of the afterlife, I think like Christianity and Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam have fundamentally contradictory views. They can't all be true. She goes, oh, that makes sense. And then we moved on. I was like, that's positive. Then at another point in the conversation, she said something to effect. I asked her, I said, hey, what was it like? You grew up in a Catholic home when you came out to your family. And she said, oh, my parents were great. They said, if God made you this way, he would want you to be who you are. She goes, what do you think? And so I'm thinking, how do I navigate this? I said, well, since you asked, I agree with your dad that we are all made in the image of God. Black, white, rich, poor, gay, straight. We're all made in the image of God and have value simply because we're human. But something I might add is that's Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3 has this thing called the fall that says our feelings and our attractions and everything about us is broken. And so as a Christian who believes in the Bible, I don't feel comfortable pointing to somebody's feelings and attractions as being necessarily God's design, my own included, because of the fall. And she goes, as long as you're not saying gay people are uniquely sinful, she goes, I'm okay with that. I said, I'm not. The Bible says all have sinned. And you know what all means in Greek? It means all, there's nothing fancy to it. And we kind of moved on. I had told her, I said, at the very end, you could ask me anything you want to ask a Christian professor. What would you like to ask? And I got to the end, I didn't know she was going to ask me. And she goes, I think many in my community would want to know, how would you respond if one of your kids came out as gay? That's the one question she wanted to ask an evangelical. What she didn't know is I had released a YouTube video or an Instagram video on this the week before and had been thinking about it. And I said, well, if my kids came out to me, the first thing I would say is thank you for sharing this with your dad. I can't imagine how long this took you to just build up the courage, knowing what I believe, fearing how I might respond and sharing with me. Thank you. Second, I want you to know I love you. You're my son, you're my daughter. This changes nothing about my love for you, period. Now let's find a way to work it through together. And she literally goes, oh, that was beautiful. When this is out, I wanna share it with my community. And she did. These are people that would never watch my stuff. Trust me. Her content is probably a little offensive to most of us here. And my content would be offensive in terms of what I believe to most of her audience. And she shared it. Friends, there's a lot of people if we reach out and we listen and lead with kindness and find common ground who would be willing to talk about Jesus. If we be less reactionary and judgmental and remember that all have sinned which includes you and it includes me. The third piece, and then we'll take some questions up here, Pete, is cultivate wisdom. 
Cultivate wisdom. More than ever, we need to be faithful to the gospel. We need to live lives of grace and kindness to our community. And we need wisdom. I get impossible emails from people navigating certain circumstances. I'm like, I don't know, but you can pray for wisdom. The Bible says pray for wisdom and God will give it. I love the story in Daniel where Daniel is being told in Daniel chapter one, eat the king's food and drink the king's wine. All Daniel had to do was just eat the food and drink the wine. You realize how easily he could have justified this? It's just food. God wants me to protect my family. God will forgive me anyways. If I don't do it, the king might kill me and make an example out of me. What does Daniel do? He says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. (coughs) In other words, he made a conviction he was going to do what is right. Then he has this very creative solution. He asks himself, what does the king really want? It's not about the food and the wine. It's actually about the kind of product of human being that they would have to serve in the king's court. So when I look at some of the demands in our culture, I think, is there a way to help people get what they really want and creatively and wisely not compromise, but navigate this situation? We need more wisdom than ever before. Friends, I bet if we went around and took a mic, there's some of you that have some painful stories where you've been canceled by your family, canceled by your friends. Maybe last time I spoke, someone said they lost their job because of their Christian convictions. I'm not saying this is easy, and I weep with you if you've been through that kind of pain. But I believe God has commissioned us for such a time as this. And more than anything, is that we respond in a holy fashion, that we love God and we love our neighbors. That's what God has called us to, amen? There you are. Let's take some questions. We got a little bit of time. Okay, can we thank Sean for his message? I just want to thank you for coming to our church and attacking this issue. I mean, this is not one that it's probably the attacking. Easy. That's strong, man. Yeah. We just attacked it. We attacked I love it. it. Take it on. Yeah, we took it on. And, and I appreciate the, the tone and the balance. Hopefully you guys could hear his heart there. One of the questions that comes to mind, and we've got an uh, opportunity to send in questions. There's a lot here. We have a short amount of time. We'll try to get through as many questions with Sean as possible. But I think one of the, the struggles for a lot of Christians is we, we hear this, this call to be full of grace and truth. Mm-hmm. And to know that conversations take time. And yet there's this, this dilemma that rises up from inside of us. It feels like if we take the, the patient long-term approach to have conversations and to hear one another, that that's just kind of a slippery slope towards compromise or not sharing the truth. What, what encouragement would you give to people on the importance of conversation and how is that not a compromise? So... Listening doesn't equal agreement. (laughs) It's amazing how many Christians think, well, if I listen and hear them out and let them speak, I'm agreeing. I'm saying, no, it's not. It's just being charitable and your understanding. And the Bible has a lot to say in James, listen before you speak. Proverbs is full of the wisdom of hearing others before you talk and the fool speaks before they listen. How I actually think, how awesome would it be if somebody thought, you know what? I'm hurting. I need somebody to listen to me. I just need to find a Christian because a Christian would hear me out. 
I'm telling you, that's not how most people think. That would be awesome. But the reality is there's this law of reciprocation. If you listen to someone and you care for somebody, they're going to feel the need to reciprocate. But now it's on a very different term than preaching and speaking at somebody. Defenses are down. So it can lead to that, but it doesn't need to lead to that. Now, when you decide to do it, it might look different, speak truth in family versus at work versus a friend. I can't tell you exactly when to do that, but listen and affirm. Look, it was M. Scott Peck who said the best way to love somebody is just to listen. People are hurting and they're broken. And a Christian just says, let me understand. Let me hear your story. Hey, are you open to how I make sense of this as a Christian? Can I share my story with you? Can I share why I think Jesus brings hope into this pain? And if the person says no, then they're not open anyways and you would have wasted your time preaching at them. Is your temperance and kind of your demeanor something that's been developed um, or is it something that is more natural? I was born that, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) How how has it been developed? Honestly, look, my mom has always said, I'm a blend between my mom and my dad. My dad is a bull in a china cabinet. He would say things like, give me a squirt gun, I'm attacking hell. He likes conflict. (laughs) He actually does. And that's why he could debate Marxists in the 70s and 80s. God wired him for that. My mom is the opposite. I think I'm somewhat just wired in the middle. Some of it is we do. Some people naturally have more of a prophetic voice. We have different wirings, introvert, extrovert. We have different spiritual gifts. We're not all called to be the same. Lean into who God has made you to be. But I think also a lot of it comes from actually listening to people. Instead of just talking about, ooh, it's this political party out there. It's this race who's out there. It's this whatever community out there. When you go talk to people and listen to them and it humanizes it, it changes the tone and approach that you have. And I've tried to do that. Thank you for that. Uh, so on our Minty here, you can, people can vote and affirm. So questions rising okay. to the top. All right. Uh, it asks this, do you watch the Daily Wire? Okay, fair enough. Maybe explain uh, what the Daily Wire is to some of our folks here. So the Daily Wire is Ben Shapiro's entire media company. I think that's what you would say to it. So here's the answer. I listen to the Daily Wire by Ben Shapiro and I listen to the Daily by the New York Times. I actually listen to both. I like Ben Shapiro. He's smart, he's sharp, he's great at what he does, but I don't wanna just fill my mind with one narrative and one side. So the books I read, multiple sides, the podcasts I listen to, the YouTube channel I follow, I try to hear another perspective. There's a proverb that says, the first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. Proverbs 18.20. So yes, I do. But I also have a lot of podcasts from people who would disagree I listen to as well. Thank you for that. Uh, This next question kind of switches gears a little bit. Um, This comes from a parent who's asking the question, and and you have a background in obviously Christian education. You've taught in Christian schools. You work at a Christian university. Um, For parents who have kids in private schools or homeschooled, um, some of the questions they're getting is, well, how do I share my faith how can I be gospel share if I'm not in environments with other non-believers? What advice would you give to parents to handle that question from their children? Uh, so 
gosh, that's an interesting question. My kids go to a private school, but my son plays club basketball. My daughter plays club volleyball. So I would just find social and relational ways to get outside of that bubble if it can become a bubble. Also online, I don't care if you homeschool or if you send your kids to a private school, they're getting exposed. You cannot protect your kids anymore from the way that the world is. So honestly, maybe it's the dad in me. That sounds more like an excuse from a kid than a reason they don't want to do it. But maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know the backstory here. I'm all for homeschooling. I'm all for private schools. I actually say the education you pick should be tailored based upon your resources and your kid. Some kids thrive in homeschool. Some kids don't. Some kids thrive in private schools. Some kids thrive in public schools. So we've got to be willing to do what's best for our kids if we can. But how you navigate homeschool and private and public is very different. So if I sent my kid to a public school, I would get to know the teachers. I would have a lot of conversation with them. I would be involved and concerned and being attentive to it. So if you're homeschooling your kids, just find other ways for them to be engaged with the world, which is an opportunity. But there's also something to be said, you know, if kids, I mean, is it the job of kids to be missionaries to the world? I don't think it's the job of a 12 and 14 year old. There's something to be said for a season where they grow and mature and develop and then send them out in the right way and at the right time. So I guess in answer, if my kid said that to me, I would want to hear where it's coming from. I would hear them out and make sure there's fair opportunities uh, to try to navigate those things. Thank you for that response. Uh, Another question kind of in the same vein is you talk about social media being something that has kind of led to increasing cancel culture, yet you're big presence on social media for your ministry. How do you navigate that? Um, And then how do you approach it with kids in regards to the same kind of challenges? One of the reasons I use social media is because that's where people are communicating. You actually look at Jesus and Paul as a communicator. Jesus went out in a boat. Why? To echo his voice. Paul wrote letters. Why? To send his message to other areas. So using social media can be one effective way. Now, there's some temptations that come with it, doesn't it? Temptations to shock and awe to get views. Temptation to put your identity into social media. Temptation to just waste time on social media. I think about the upside, spend a lot of time thinking about the downside, and then with consultation from people, try to use it well. So I'm not that provoke guy. I just don't. I want to encourage people and I want to equip people. And so the amount of feedback I get from YouTube and Instagram and other mediums is incredible how many people around the world use it as a tool. So to me, it's literally just a tool, but I'm very aware of the negative downside temptations that come in it and intentionally work in ways as best I can to resist that. Yeah, it's provided a great avenue to reach into maybe different pockets like you were mentioning that Absolutely. you wouldn't necessarily have an invitation from, but they're welcome to check out your content. Um, this next question, it kind of speaks to the church at large. It's, you know, there's a lot of issues that are highly contested right now, and they're in our face every day. Uh, as, a, as a pastor, professor, follower of Christ, 
What's your opinion on the, the role of the church in addressing cultural issues from the pulpit? Oh, that's a good question. So you said cultural issues from the pulpit. That's a little bit different than saying political issues, although they overlap. Here's what I would say. I think as a church, we need to deal with timeless issues and deal with timely issues. Timeless issues, teaching the scripture. God exists. Bible is true. Why does God allow evil? Like there are certain timeless truths that have been passed on. I mean, you read Paul, he's like, I pass on to you what was passed on to me in 1 Corinthians 15. So we have to pass on these timeless key truths, but we also have to show how, <coughs> excuse me, scripture speaks in to the issues of the day. So if we never address the issues of the day, what happens is we teach a kind of compartmentalization that your faith is on Sunday morning and maybe Wednesday night at Bible study, but doesn't shape when you're at work, when you watch the NBA finals of which Denver's gonna close this thing out tomorrow, just for the record. When you uh, go to a movie, when you vote. So Christianity is a holistic worldview that shapes everything. So we should be weighing into cultural issues. My concern though is when it goes so far that the, cult that the church can become too political and take sides on issues of which well-meaning Christians can disagree on. So we've got to speak from the scriptures. We've got to try to ask what are the essential issues to focus on, give people tools, and not start to think, well, buy into like this idea of a political savior rather than our ultimate savior. So bottom line is we should weigh into these issues with wisdom and discernment and with care. But we need to. One thing that I, our church started doing is we have these controversial conversations. And sometimes we'll bring in people with different perspectives within the Christian fold to just talk about it and have a conversation and a mild debate to model how to have civil conversations of disagreement, but also to give people tools how to wrestle with it. So if we don't bring that into the church, we basically say the church doesn't speak into the issues of the day, which is a disaster but we don't want to be dominated by political and cultural issues, then we become a pawn in some larger political gain and lose the ability to have a prophetic voice to the culture. Yeah. There's so much being written and posted and circulated in regards to apologetics and the Christian defense on all these topics. As we kind of close up this morning, what would you recommend to adults and then for children? A great place to start to develop apologetics training. Oh, gosh. I would say, so a few things. Number one, get some, just add to your podcast list or YouTube channel list one or two good apologists or apologetics channels and just listen while you work out, while you walk, while you bike, whatever, fix your car. Like just add that. The Bible says love God with your mind. So of the time that you have when you jump in the car, listen to William Lane Craig in Reasonable Faith. Listen to Greg Kokel Stand to Reason. I co-host a podcast out of Biola that has a lot of apologetics content in it. So one way is just to intentionally get that. And over time, you'll learn confidence that the Bible's true, why God allows evil. And it just builds up your mind and your faith. That's one thing. The other one would just, there's some great books that are out there, some excellent resources to get that I could recommend a million of those. If you want to know where to start, I wrote a blog and the title is like the best apologetics books for beginners. 
It's my top 10. So if you search like apologetics, my name, beginners, a list of 10 will kind of pop up and you could pick and choose C.S. Lewis, Lee Strobel, etc. Great places to start. Third, if you're like really in, you could come study apologetics with me at Biola. We have a distance master's program. We would seriously love to have you if you have an undergrad degree. It's all distance. And you don't have to have background apologetics if you're willing to do the work. So there's different levels of like (laughs) jumping into apologetics. But all I ask people, as I say, loving God with your mind and learning to defend the faith, make it one piece of what you do. You know one thing I didn't say? I think one of the reasons we Christians get defensive and angry a lot in conversation is because we don't know what we believe and why we believe it. We don't really know why we think Jesus God arose from the grave. We don't really know why Jesus is the only way. We haven't really thought about the evidence for intelligent design or why God allows evil. So because we don't know, there's a certain confidence that's lacking. And when people press us, we get defensive. So part of your question was, where does this demeanor come from? I'm not threatened by people who see the world differently than I am. I'm really confident that Christianity is true. So that atheist New York media elite started watching my stuff where friends were gonna write a book together. He said, what I like about your channel is you don't freak out. You just let people talk who see the world differently. That makes me think you must have deep confidence in what you believe. And I wanna know about that. So cancel culture, one way to fight it is to learn what you believe. Listen to some podcasts, some YouTube channels, get some good Christian books and just make it one piece of what you do. And then six months, five years down the road, you've learned to defend your faith and better engage those around you. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that literally is living out that gentleness and respect that draws people to ask more. Amen. So, uh, Sean, thank you so much for coming. You do have a book that uh, we have, I think, a few copies left out in the back. But uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about that book, and then we'll let you go back there and visit. Yeah, they shipped one box, which came, and then they shipped a whole different book of my dad's book, the wrong one. Hello. So there's like five or six copies left, but I think a box is coming Monday, and they said they would take back orders and get it to you if that's helpful. But bottom line, it's a book called Evidence for Jesus. This came out of a book my dad wrote in the 50s. He set out to disprove Christianity. He was challenged by some Christians. And there was no apologetics books back then. Was surprised by the evidence, wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And it sold millions of copies. God has used that book remarkably. But it's about 700 pages long. So the publisher's like, could we make an accessible book with like four to five page chapters, just quick answers? How do you know Jesus is God? Why is Jesus the only way? How do we know the Bible's true? So this book is kind of a quicker guide with enough substance for 90% of the conversations you would find yourself in. So if that's helpful, that book, Evidence for Jesus, will be back there. And Sean's going to hang back in our Connect Center for Perfect. a little bit. And just, can we thank him one more time? Thank you. I'll do the math. Thank you. Thank you so much for submitting questions. There are so many more that were You're popping welcome. onto my phone that we didn't have a chance to get to, but I can tell you that oh, um, a lot of those questions, Sean's uh, YouTube channel, he speaks directly oh, okay. to a lot of the questions wow. you were asking. So I would recommend YouTube uh, looking at his Think Biblically podcast or his own personal channel, and you'll find some great answers to those questions this morning. We hope you appreciated his tone, his tenor, and the truth that he was committing to us this morning. And we just pray that God would use that in our hearts to continue to live in that tension 
and to be filled with grace and truth. Let me pray for us this morning, and then you'll be dismissed. Father God, we just thank you for uh, the opportunity to have our thoughts provoked on this idea of cancel culture and how we can respond to it as Christians, Lord. Um, God, we pray that you would give us the right measure of grace and truth, that we would know how to stand firmly on the scriptures and yet engage a culture that is, that is angry and, and coming at us. And yet you love them. You sent your son to die for those who are far from you. And so, God, we pray that you would allow your church to be a, a voice of clear, unapologetic truth, God. And yet a place where we can draw near to one another and have those conversations that allow us to have opportunities to share that life-saving gospel message. God, help us to be a church whose reputation is known as being full of grace and truth. We pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen. We love you all. Have a great week. Hope to see you next Sunday.